we're right in the middle of a, a grand argument on the, part of the, on the part of the Apostle Paul. I told you last week that I wanted to um, give you an illustration of this, and, and, I, and I do, and I will, and that's what we'll do tonight. But let's, let's figure out where we are um, in terms of, let's, let's, let's try to reinsert ourselves in the midst of the argument, in, uh, in the midst of the logic. Go back with me to, verses, to verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, guys, let's go back and let me tell you what, what uh, the Apostle Paul is up to. It's, um, it's a great argument. It's a, it's a fun thing. Uh, it's, what he is doing, beginning in verse 5, is comparing, and you'll notice in your text, um, righteousness that is based on the law. That's in verse 5. You see that? Then in verse 6, he says, the righteousness that is based on faith. He is comparing and contrasting those two things. A righteousness that is based on law versus a righteousness that is based on faith. He does that in verse 5, and he does this in verses 6 through 8. Really, uh, really 6 through 10, but that's, that's all we're looking at. He is comparing those two things. In verse 5, he says, the righteousness that's based on law looks like this. It is the person who does the commandment shall live by them. He simply states that if you're going to um, try to obtain righteousness based on law, then you're going to have to do the commandments, all of them, perfectly as interpreted by Jesus Christ. Okay? So, very frankly, folks, I am offering you another route to get into heaven. All you got to do is obey the law in all of its stipulations, fully, perfectly, as interpreted by Jesus Christ. I, I always put that as interpreted. Because Jesus says, you have heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? But I say unto you, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her. So it's not simply the letter of the law that Jesus says is uh, that you're required to obey. It is the spirit of that same law. It is not just an external, um, outward obedience. It's an internal obedience as well. So, here it is, guys. Here's a path. Here's a path to heaven. It's just obedience, perfect obedience, in all of the stipulations and rules of the law, uh, done perfectly, as interpreted by Jesus Christ. And, as uh, James 2 tells us, to violate one of those makes you guilty of the whole thing. I mean, it, it is, it's not enough to be, you know, 99 real close, but, you know, you kicked the dog one night when you came home from work because you didn't get the sale. That's the only thing you ever did. Sorry. It's got to be done perfectly. So last week, what we looked at is his, he says, the righteousness based on law looks like that. And then he says in verse 6, um, uh, but the righteousness based on faith, it looks like this. Um, 
Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. And you remember last week I said to you that in these verses he is quoting Deuteronomy 30. Remember that? So you might want to find that again, Deuteronomy 30. Those That language of Romans 10 comes out of Deuteronomy 30. Paul is quoting Moses right out of Deuteronomy 30. And he is saying, righteousness based on law looks like this. But a righteousness that is based on faith looks like this. This requires an heroic effort. And, and Paul says, but righteousness that is based on faith, um, it doesn't say who will ascend into heaven. That is, um, I, I told you that um, all the ancient gods were gods that were that were remote and were reluctant and were and were unwilling to be reached, and and all of the secrets of heaven were lodged up in the heavenlies. And to get them, that you had to climb and strive and 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 work so that you could wrench these great truths from the gods. And Paul says, oh, by the way, that's perfectly consistent with this. All of that climbing and striving and wrenching and, 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 and working. That's what this is. But he says the righteousness that is by faith, it doesn't say you got to go to heaven. No, 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 no. It doesn't say that you must go to the abyss. Remember, Moses uses the word sea, S-E-A. And, and I, I said to you, um, uh, Paul uses the word abyss, but the, the, the image is the same of chaos and destruction and death. Uh, the, the idea is, don't, tell, don't say you've got to go on some quest. No, you don't have to go on some quest as if you're some kind of Indiana Jones uh, pursuing that, uh, that Ark of the Covenant. And you've got to, um, you know, you've got to accomplish this and you've got to avoid that and you've got to, you know, battle the dragons and kill the cyclops and, and uh, cross the abyss so that you can obtain it and you can finally uh, clutch in your hands the Holy Grail. The righteousness that is by faith doesn't look like that. No, no, no. It doesn't say you have to ascend. It doesn't say that you have to descend. It says it's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That's Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. Now, that's what we looked at last week, guys. The, the idea of a quest and, and killing the cyclops and, and crossing the abyss and, and you know, I, I use the illustration of the, the, um, the third movie of Indiana Jones, you know, and he, he was looking for the Holy Grail. He and Sean Connery were looking for the Holy Grail and he had to step off that ledge and, you know, and then the stairs came and then the, the, they opened it up and there's the guy that's 900 years old waiting for all that business. That's, that's consistent with this. I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna try to gain a righteousness that's based on law, then you've got to earn and strive and win and battle and, and work. But the righteousness is based on faith is not like that. Do not say that you've got to ascend. Do not say that you have to descend. You don't have to go on a quest. You don't have to conquer the abyss. You don't have to meet the dragons and, 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 and slay them. No, it's, it's near you. That's the language of Paul that he gets right out of Deuteronomy 30. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Now, guys, that's what we looked at last week. 
And I said to you that there is a wonderful illustration of this whole thing in the Old Testament that I want you to see. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Really what I've done, I haven't said anything new up to this point. That's what I said last week. But I want you to see this illustration. And it is, <laughs> I hope it says to you the things that I, that I, that I think it says. At least it says, I, I think you'll understand. It. This is in 2 Kings chapter 5. So go find that. What I'm saying is, 2 Kings chapter 5 simply contains an illustration about this. That's all I'm saying. But sometimes if you can understand this, you can understand this better. 2 Kings chapter 5. This is a great story. Um, uh, We're going to look at it somewhat closely. Not real closely, but we'll look at it somewhat closely. 2 Kings chapter 5. It's about a guy by the name of Naaman. 2 Kings 5. You with me? Naaman was a commander. He was a general in the Syrian army. Unfortunately, he was a leper. That's in verse 1. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. But uh, Naaman is a general in the Syrian army, and he's a leper. And um, uh, in all of his conquests, one of the things that he had done is capture a little Israelitish girl, a little Jewish girl, and she had become his servant. And uh, look at this in verse 1. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, this is a, this is a trusted, um, um, loyal general to the king of Syria. He was a leper, but he was a mighty man of valor. Um, now, look at verse 2. The Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked um, in the service of Naaman's wife. So, you know, in one of those battles over there and in one of those um, trips over to Israel to have a little skirmish, he, he captures this little girl who is Jewish and she comes home and apparently they develop some kind of uh, sweetness between them. And, and the little girl says one day, oh, oh, that my master could get in touch with the prophet of Israel. And the, um, verse three, she said to her mistress, would that my Lord uh, were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Oh, that Naaman, my boss, the, 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 the Syrian general, Oh, that Naaman could just hook up with the prophet in Samaria, whose name, by the way, is Elisha. Not Elijah, Elisha. Oh, that he could just get to Elisha. Because I know if he got to Elisha, everything would be all right with him. He wouldn't be a leper anymore. So she hears, uh, uh, the, his wife tells Naaman, and Naaman goes to the king and says, Hey, could I, could I go visit this guy, this guy, Elisha? And the king says, sure, sure. And then uh, we're told, um, look at, this is in verse 5. So he went, that is, Naaman went to see Elisha, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. So Naaman says, um, okay, I'm going to see Elisha, and I'm going to take this big old potload of stuff with me. So he, he stops by the king of Israel first. Uh, that's in verse 7. And when the king of Israel read the letter f- uh, from the king of Syria, the king of Israel tears his clothes and he says, Who do you think I am? I'm not God. That can... That's in verse 7. Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends words to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Oh, my goodness, I'm a king, but I'm no miracle worker. Who does he think I am? I can't do this. So that ends kind of badly. But he heads on over to where Elisha is. Naaman in his entourage with all the gold and all the silver and all the changes of clothes goes over to see Elisha. 
So when they finally get to Elisha's house, or Elisha's cave, or wherever he is, his servant, Gehazi, that is Elisha's servant, Gehazi, Gehazi comes in and says, hey, there's a, there's a Syrian general out here, and he's a leper, and he'd like to see you because he'd like for you to heal him. And, and Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. That's pretty rude, don't you think? Doesn't even break a sweat and just says, and says, oh, just go tell it. I don't, he didn't say it like that, but he said, just tell him to go dip seven times in the Jordan River. Now remember, Naaman's a Syrian general and he's got 6,000 pieces of gold and 4,000 pieces of silver and all the clothes in Ocal on his camels outside. He wants to give them to this man. Elisha and Elisha says, well, I ain't got time to say him. Just tell him to, just tell him to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Now, guys, stay with me. The story's getting good. Um, verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you shall be clean. Verse 11. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in rage. Do you see how he reacts? Elisha says to Gehazi, just go tell him to wash seven times in the Jordan. Gehazi comes out and says, hey, Elisha says, just go wash seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman says, what? What do you mean seven times in the Jordan? I'm not going to wash seven times in the Jordan. Well, I thought what he would do is that he would come out and he would he would wave this magic wand and, and there would be lightning and, and there's this abracadabra and, and this big boom and, and there'd be this, this big production and this wabo-sabo and, and, and Batman would fly out of the east and, and uh, you know, Spider-Man would come through the trees and, and everything would be big. And he turns away in rage. He says, we got rivers in, in Syria. We got the Abana and the Farpar. If I wanted to dip in a river, I'd dip in my own rivers. I'm not dipping in his river. Now, guys, here's the point. Notice what his servant said to him. Verse 13. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Um, Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? You You know what they're saying to him? They're saying, boss, if if Elisha had told you to go do something really big, you'd have done it. If Elisha had told you that you needed to go on a quest and slay the Cyclops and, and strap yourself to the mast so that the fairies cannot tempt you, you'd have done it. If, if, if he'd have waved some magic wand and, and, and said abracadabra and there'd have been lightning, you, you'd have liked that. Or even if he'd have said, 
I'll heal you, but it's going to cost 6,000 pieces of gold and 14,000 pieces of silver and 10 changes of clothes. You'd have done it! Because you would then be able to say, I am no longer a leper. Based on that which I have earned! But he's telling me that I don't have to earn it. That all I gotta do is embrace this word of his. And very frankly, as a Syrian general leper, I like this better. Because this means and I can strut around Siri and say, the reason I'm not a leper is because I'm really, I went on a quest and I conquered all fears. Naaman thinks any idiot can wash in a river. Yeah. That's right. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That's the gospel. Any idiot can embrace the God-provided Savior and the God-provided path of righteousness. But Naaman is thinking, it just can't be that easy. What, what kind of God has a bar of salvation that is so low? Our God, that's who. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. It's near you. You don't do this for it. You don't have to conquer the abyss. You don't have to go up. You don't have to go down. You don't have to go sideways. You simply have to embrace this. It's near you. Very frankly, guys, this is kind of raw, but any idiot can have it. I know that for a fact. <laughs> it's near you. The gospel asks you to do nothing. I'm, I'm going I'm to change that a little bit. Guys, this, this other path of righteousness appeals to the whole pride of man saying, Get out there and hustle for this thing and work hard for this thing and, and beat the cyclops and, you know, and then you can stand before God and you can say, you ought to let me in because I'm so good. That's this path. This other path says, I can't believe that God demands a simple act of faith. Guys, they're back. Let me finish real quick. They're back. I, I, I want. I, I said a moment ago. What? What kind of God has a bar of salvation that's so low? I want to modify that just a little. It's not actually 
so low. Because here's what, here's what happens if you embrace this. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your pride. Ooh. Naaman doesn't want to be to sacrifice his military conquering image. And neither do they. It means that you've got to sacrifice thinking that you control your life, that you're in charge. And it means that you must depend. Depend on somebody else to possess righteousness. And to 20th century, 21st century man, every time they'll respond like Naaman. Give me something to do. Give me something to buy. Give me something to work for. Give me something to earn, and I love that gospel. But Moses said, and Paul quotes, you don't have to go up. You don't have to cross the sea. You don't have to sink yourself into the abyss. No, no, no. It's near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Now, I hope you might be still at Deuteronomy 30 because this is where we're going to close. Deuteronomy 30, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the most glorious sections in the Old Testament. You will notice after having had that whole argument that Moses has given, Moses says in verse 19, this is glorious, folks. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and life. Ladies and gentlemen, as a lover of Moses and what he says, I say to you, I have set before you life and death. Death and life. I have set before you curse and blessing. Notice what the next words are. Moses says, therefore, therefore, choose life. Have you ever heard the gospel more clearly than that? Choose life. Choose life. And and one other thing. He says that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him for He is your life. (laughs) I don't blame Paul for quoting that. What is your life? He is your life. The finished work of Jesus Christ is your life. You, you triumph, ladies and gentlemen, through losing. 
just like Christ. He was the one that went into the abyss for you. He was the one that won eternal life as the victor for you. He went on the quest for you. He is your life. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. But that ain't going to get you there.